You are listening to River City Revival. This is Reverend Liz Jackson. Today's sermon is Reality in Society, History of the Roman Catholic Church, Government, and Armies, Part 5. As always, in the description box of this podcast, you will find a link to the Lion's Tears Ministry where you can look up all this information and vet my sources, which I used simple tools like history.com for this information. It's imperative that you understand what is going on in reality. Part 5 will be the rundown of the armies that serve the unholy Roman Catholic Church. Where appropriate, I will ask questions. Again, Mystery Babylon is your entire world. The Pope, all of them, are your false prophets. And the Roman Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon. In 150 to 120 BC, Manipular Legion, also known as the Roman Legion, was formed. And this is from psu.edu, a college website. The earliest contemporary account of a Roman legion is by Polybus, and it dates to around 150 to 120 BC. This is referred to as the Manipular Legion, although the Manipular Legion probably developed around the middle of the 14th century BC. The Roman army consisted of four legions, each with the strength of roughly 4,200 infantrymen. The legion, when formed up for battle, had three lines of infantry. First were the Hatsi, then the Principes, and finally the veteran Tatari. Each of these three lines contained five manipuli of 120 Hazatai, 12 Principes, and 60 Tartari. So that's the basic rundown of the Roman Legion. Um, in 107 BC, Catoral Legion, also again from psu.edu, following the Mar- Marian reforms in 107 BC, Roman legions were heavily restructured. The three lines of distinct infantry present in the Manipular Legion were abandoned in favor of the new legionnaires. Legions contained 10 cohorts, each cohort roughly 480 legionnaires, and was subdivided into six centuries of 80 men each, and centuries were then divided into 10 eight-man conturbina. In 2007 BC, the Praetorian Guard, this comes from history.com, was the empirical guard of Rome. This guard was an elite corps of soldiers established to guard the emperor of the Roman Empire. As early as the 2nd century BC, the special units were selected to shadow famed Roman leaders such as Mark Antony, Scipio Africanus, and Lucius Cornelius Sulla whenever they ventured into the field. Julius Caesar later enlisted his 10th legion as personal security, but the Praetorian Guard, as we know, it didn't appear until shortly after. Augustus became Rome's first emperor in 27 BC. After ascending to the throne, Augustus established his own imperial guards comprised of nine cohorts of 500 to 1,000 men each. The unit would endure as a symbol of imperial might for over 300 years. 
By AD 23, it even operated out of its own fortress, the Castra Petora, located on the outskirts of Rome. The Praetorians were known to engage in espionage, intimidation, arrests, and killing to protect the interests of the Roman Emperor. For clandestine operations, they may have employed a special wing of troops known as spectators, formerly a reconnaissance corps under the Roman Republic. By the imperial era, era this unit had graduated to serving as couriers and intellig intelligence operatives in the service of the Caesar. In time, the Praetorian Guard became very near the Emperor's private bodyguard, and in the end, they became very much a problem. They were consecrated in Rome, and there came a time when the Praetorian Guard became nothing less than king makers. Inevitably, it was their nominee who was made emperor every time. Since they could impose their will by force, if need be, upon the populace, Edward Gibbon claimed that the Praetorian Guard was the first symptom and cause of the decline of the Roman Empire. So, again, it's important to understand a couple things. One, does the Pope have an army? And yes, the Pope does. It's called the Swiss Guard of the Vatican. It is the only Swiss Guard that is still active today. The Pope, or it was founded by Pope Julius II in 1506, and many guards died protecting a later Pope during the looting of Rome in 1527. So again, the Pope has an armed guard called the Swiss Army. Also, Paul, our Apostle Paul, was imprisoned by the Praetorian Guard, and this comes from Padfield.com. Upon entering the city of Rome, Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment, found in Acts 27, verse 1, handed Paul over to the perfect of the Praetorian Guard, the commanding officer. The official duty of the perfect was to keep in custody all accused persons who were to be tried before the emperor. Now when we come to Rome, the centurions delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And that's in Acts 28, verse 16. In 476 AD, Roman Catholic Church took over Rome. And this is from LumenLearning.com. During the first century of the church, circa 30 to 130, the Roman capital became recognized as a Christian center of exceptional importance. In the late 2nd century CE, there were more manifestations of Roman authority over other churches. In 189, assertion of the primacy of the Roman or of the Church of Rome may be indicated in Irenaeus against hearsays, which states with the Church of Rome because of its superior origin, all the churches must agree, and it is in her that the faithful everywhere have maintained the apostolic tradition. In 195 CE, Pope 
Victor I in what is seen as an exercise of Roman authority over other churches, excommunicated the Quartodiasmans for observing Easter on the 14th of Nisan, the date of the Jewish Passover. Celebration of Easter on a Sunday, as insisted on by the Pope, is the system that has prevailed. After the fall of the Western Roman Empire in 476, the Catholic Church became a powerful social and political institution, and its influence spread throughout Europe. So the development of papal supremacy. During the decline and fall of the Western Roman Empire and throughout the Middle Ages, the office of the Pope not only gained supremacy over the entire Christian Church, but also developed political power rivaling that of the secular rulers of Europe. Again, this is not power given by Abba Yah, but by the serpent in which they worship, which is what the Vatican is made in the image of. Again, you must remember the Vatican is shaped like a serpent, and they do not worship Abba Yah. Instead, the Roman Catholic Church mocks him, and always have. When Constantine became emperor of the Western Roman Empire in 312, he attributed his victory to the Christian God. Many soldiers in his army were Christians, and his army was his base of power. With Licinius, Eastern Roman Emperor, he issued the Edict of Milan, which mandated toleration of all religions in the empire. Decisions made at the Council of Nicaea in 325 about the divinity of Christ led to a schism. The new religion, Iranianism, flourished outside the Roman Empire, partly to distinguish themselves from a Arians, Catholic devotion to Mary became more prominent, and this led to further schisms. So what is Arianism? The main difference between the belief of Arianism and other main Christian denominations is that Arians did not believe in the Holy Trinity, which is a way that other Christian churches explain God. So FYI, I don't believe in the Trinity either. El, Elyon, Abba, Yah, Creator, Alpha, Omega, I Am, is single deity. He is one God, now and forever and always has been. He dwells in me via his Holy Spirit, which is his true words, his morals, values, and ethics, in which I try to live out the best way that I can. And Yahusha, the elect one, the son of man, who was chosen from the foundations of creation, who came in our father's name, which is Yahusha equals Yah is salvation, only Yah can save. And all who believe in Yahusha, our Messiah, will be saved. And there is DNA proof of Yahusha as Yah's son. And that sermon is coming soon. But if you know of an archaeologist named Ron Wyatt, please Google search him. He is on um, YouTube and has tested many different historical items that, you know, DNA doesn't lie. I'm just trying to tell you. So again, Yahusha came in our Father's name. We are all of God. So whenever he says, I, 
am, you know, God in, you know, flesh, when Abba Yah resides in you and Abba Yah put his Holy Spirit in Yahushua, by the way, like he put himself, that was the whole baptism, that was what that doves did, Abba Yah came in the form of a dove and put himself in the vessel known as Yahushua. Angels came and ministered. Angels came and, you know, taught. The only way to correct the sinful nature was for Abba Yah to put on the form of man and to abolish the curse. He took on the curse himself when he died on a tree. There is no trinity. You have to get away from that. The Roman Catholics believe in a trinity because that's from pagan Rome. But again, this sermon is uh, like a, you know, an outline to get you to think and start understanding things. Because the more you start to think, the more questions you're going to have and the more you're going to be set free. So in 1095 through 1102 AD, the First Crusades was the first of a series of religious wars initiated, supported, and at times directed by the Latin Church in the medieval period. The initial objective was the recovery of the Holy Land from Islamic rule, and these campaigns were subsequently given the name Crusades. In 1119 AD, the Knights Templar was formed, Templar, also Knights Templar, member of the Poor Knights of Christ and the Temple of Solomon, a religious military order of knighthood established at the time of the Crusades that became a model and inspiration for other military orders. Originally founded to protect Christian pilgrims to the Holy Land, the order assumed greater military duties during the 12th century. Its prominence and growing wealth however, provoked opposition from rival orders. In 1139, Pope Innocent II issued a bull that granted the order special privileges. The Templars were allowed to build their own oratories and were not required to pay the tie. They were also exempt from episcopal jurisdiction, being subject only to the Pope. The rule of the order was modeled after the Benedictine rule, especially as understood and implemented by the Caesarians, the Knights Templar swore an oath of poverty, chastity, and obedience and renounced the world just as the Caesarians and other monks did. Like the monks, the Templars heard the divine office during each of the canonical hours of the day and were expected to honor the fasts and vigils of the monastic calendar. They were frequently found in prayer and expressed particular veneration to the Virgin Mary. So what does veneration mean? According to Merriam-Webster, respect or awe inspired by the dignity, wisdom, dedication, or talent of a person. The act of venerating, the condition of one that is venerated. Some common synonyms of venerate are adore and worship again they worship the virgin mary because the vestal of virgins is what they've always worshiped the greek and roman gods are still 
worshipped today. Who are the Caesareans? The Caesareans, officially the Order of Caesareans, are the Catholic religious order of monks and nuns that branched off from the Benedictines and followed the rule of St. Benedict. So what is the Benedictine rule? Benedictine, member of the Order of St. Benedict, member of any of the Confederate congregation of monks, lay brothers and nuns who followed the rule of life of St. Benedict, and who are spiritual descendants of the traditional monastic of the early medieval centuries in Latin and Gaul, or in Italy and Gaul, I'm sorry. The Benedictines, strictly <clears throat> speaking, do not constitute a single religious order because each monastery is autonomous meaning they govern themselves. What are confederations? A confederation or confederacy is a voluntary allegiance of sovereignty, independence, states established to manage matters of common concern to the member states, such as defense. The verb confederate has traditionally meant to form an alliance that carries out the will of a coalition of interests, none of which surrender sovereignty to the confederation. What is the Benedict rule and St. Benedict? Benedict was a devout Italian Christian who became a monk at the age of 20, wishing to withdraw from the world after he visited Rome and was shocked by how immoral life in the holy city had become. He founded his own monastery in 529. The Benedict rule is strict, its main theme being absolute obedience to not God, but the abbot. And the Benedict rule is brainwashing at its finest. It reads, the first step of humility is to obey without delay. This is proper for those who, because they have promised holy subjection, or because of the fear of hell or the glory of everlasting life, hold nothing more precious than Christ. The moment the abbot commands anything, they obey instantly, as if commanded by God himself. Whew! How to become humble. Again, this is from the Benedict Rule. And you'll, you'll see it's not of Abaya at all. I chose 1, 6, and 7. So 1 says, Always to have the fear of God before one's eye, shunning all forgetfulness and always remembering of all God's commands, always thinking about how those who despise God will burn in hell for their sins, and about the everlasting life of those who fear God. I have to pause there. Because that's not what Abba Yah says. Abba Yah says, go and make disciples of all nations and be the light. We are not to sit and think about how people are going to burn in hell for their sins. We are supposed to speak the truth, reveal the truth. And yes, people do fall under the law of sin and death. That is what I talk about. Because the more you hear about it, the more you're going to investigate what the law of sin and death really is about. Nobody is going to burn in hell forever. I'm sorry to tell you this. Yahusha didn't burn in hell. Those who were in hell when he raised them with him were not burning in hell. So we need to get that clear. Number six says to be content with the meanest and worst of everything, always considering oneself a bad and worthless workman. 
That's instilling poor self-value, which Abaya says, love your brother as you love yourself. So no wonder the Roman unholy Catholic Church doesn't love anybody. With the rules of the Benedict rule, it says to be content with the meanest and worst of everything, always consider oneself as bad and worthless workmen. So how can you go spread love if you think of yourself as worthless? You can't. Again, when your heart and mind is negative, your actions are going to be negative. Number seven, to declare with the tongue and believe in the inmost soul that one is the lowest and vilest of men. Again, Whenever you think ill about yourself, you can't love your neighbor. So these monks, again, brainwashed. So then Abba Yah had me ask, is this rule still in effect today? And the rule of St. Benedict has been used by Benedictines for 15 centuries. And thus, his rule was written as a guide for individual, autonomous communities in all Benedictine houses. And remains alive and well today. They should not be following this indoctrination. And these poor souls, it's, it's horrible. And I totally understand why nobody wants to believe in an all-omnipresent God when you have all this. But that's what Babylon means. Again, confusion. And the whore of Babylon is the church of the unholy Roman Catholics spreading these lies. Back to the Knights Templar from HistoryExtra.com. The rule of the Knights Templar called for them to never retreat, surrender, or charge without being ordered to do so. Excellent features for an army that needs to remain disciplined. The rule of the Knights Templar called for them to never... Um, I need to edit that, sorry. In 1307, however, the order was destroyed by a cruel and conven or conniving king of France, Philip the Fourth. Philip used a popular wish for the Templars and the Hospitallers to be merged into one military superior order as a pretext for investigating their practice and then confiscating their wealth. The collapse was swift and dramatic as the king's lawyers and papal inquis inquisitors accused the brothers of corruption, blasphemy, and sexual crimes. By 1312, the Templars had been disbanded, and their last master, James of Molay, was burned at the stake as a heretic in Paris in 1314. Next, we move to the Order of Christ. This comes from NewAdvent.org. The Military Order of Christ, previously the Order of the Knights of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the former Knights Templar Order as it was reconstituated in Portugal after the Templars. Hmm. The Order of Christ as a papal decoration or order of merit is also a historical survival of the right, anciently reserved to the Holy See of administrating new members into the Portuguese order. So this is alive and kicking today. The Jesuit order. This is your indoctrination camps called education and ministry are missionaries and charitable works. The Jesuits, 
Members of the Society of Jesus, a Roman Catholic order of religious men founded by St. Ignatius of Loyola, noted for its educational, missionary, and charitable works. The order has been regarded by many as the principal agent of the Counter-Reformation and was later a leading force in modernizing the church. So again, if the unholy Roman Catholic Church cared about anybody, because as I live and breathe and sit in St. Louis, and there's an archdiocese, and every street and every town is named after the saints, and almost every town is named after the saints, then why do we still have homeless and, you know, poverty, and why is our roads crumbling, and everything else? Why is there division and racial hate in everything if the church actually gave a crap, which it does not? There would not be any inequality. Particular emphasis was laid upon the virtue of obedience, including special obedience to the Pope. Emphasis was also placed upon flexibility, the condition that allowed Jesuits to become involved in a great variety of ministries and missionary endeavors in all parts of the world. Also known as God's Marines or the Company, the Order of Priests and Brothers was founded by St. Ignatius of Loyola in 1534 with six other students at the University of Paris. St. Ignatius had a military background and early adherents referred to themselves as the Company of Jesus, hence both the nickname that lived to this day. As the head of the new order, Ignatius sent his priests throughout Catholic Europe to start schools, colleges, and seminaries. By Ignatius' death in 1556, the Jesuits had already founded 74 colleges on three continents. With missionary work as a core value, the Jesuits have been known for spreading Catholicism throughout the world. Pope Francis's namesake, St. Francis Xavier, is a particular is particularly credited with the church's expansion in Asia. Right. Called the rules for thinking with the church, the directive states that stunning ambiguity, the society's obedience to the church, rule number nine says that all members do whatever it takes to uphold the precepts of the church. Again, not God, but the church. And the often quote rule 13 is even stricter. If the church have defined anything to be black, which it or which to our eyes appears to be white, we in like manner to pronounce it to be black. So whatever the church says, that you must do. <sighs> Not God. Nowhere in that sentence or statement or anything does the Jesuits refer to Abba Yah. Francis Xavier, a saint and one of the founding members of the society, established an inquisition in Goa, India in 1545. Like the more popular and well-documented inquisitions in Europe, the idea was to stamp out hearsay and heretics. The inquisition in this Portuguese colony persisted for almost three centuries before being called off in 1812. That's a long frickin' time. My next question was, what's the Roman Catholic role in the Holocaust? 
This is from FacingHistory.org. Church leaders and clergy held a range of opinions about National Socialism. Some Catholic leaders welcomed Hitler's call to overcome the un-Germanic spirit and feared that atheistic communism was more of a threat to the Catholic Church than the Nazis were. Others opposed the Nazis. According to historian Doris Virgin, many German Catholic clergy were initially suspicious of Nazism. They saw Nazi ideas as anti-Christian, especially the emphasis on race and blood and the obvious disrespect for human life. Some priests had refused to administer the sacrament of communion to church members in the stormtroopers or SS uniforms. Some who opposed the Nazis also urged great caution. They were fearful of attacks on priests and nuns. The concern prompted officials of the Vatican to dis to discuss with Hitler the possibility of an arrangement. The church would pledge to abstain from political activity in Germany in exchange for the Reich's promise not to persecute the Catholic Church and its members. In July 1933, Hitler and Pope Pius XI signed a concordant or treaty. Historian Fritz Stern explains, On the face of it, the Vatican had scored a great triumph. No government under Weimar had been willing to sign such a concordant, which would recognize the principal right of the church, rights that presumably would render it immune from the kind of persecution it had suffered in the past. By the term of the concordant, the church renounced all political activities and turned the state guaranteed the right to free worship, the circulate pastoral epistles to main Catholic schools and property. The Vatican had reason to be satisfied. Catholic rights had been put on a new basis, and at the time, a regime had been strengthened that seemed to correspond to the Vatican sense that Mussolini and Hitler were indispensable bulwarks against Bolshevism. Hitler had more reason to be satisfied. The Concordant was his first international agreement, and it vastly enhanced his respectability in Germany and abroad. A great moral authority had trusted his word. But did the Vatican really believe the National Socialism would abide by the Concordant? Was there really much likelihood that the regime would have untouched a rival organization with its own dogmas and with such sweeping power over education. Catholic anti-Semitism began long before the 20th century. For centuries, Catholics persecuted Jews, crowding them into ghettos, forcing them to convert to Christianity, and frequently killing them. For centuries, Catholics accused Jews of rightfully murdering Christian children, engaging in sorcery, poisoning wells, and desecrating images of Christ. For centuries, Catholics were taught that Jews, all Jews, were cursed because they had killed Christ, a position that was not officially condemned until 1965. So again, why would anyone remain a part of something that killed millions of people? The Holy Roman Catholic Church doesn't care about Abba Yah or you. And if you happen to find this ministry, please come out of this nasty beast. The world's not your friend. Again, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Proverbs 12, 22 of the King James Version. So I am urging you 
my brothers and sisters, to please come out of the unholy Roman Empire and see it for what it is. It is a government and it runs the world and mystery Babylon is just that. It is the mystery that Rome is still alive and well, but dressed as a woman named the church. The Hora Babylon is the Roman Catholic Church. Your false prophet is all the popes. And if you partake in this, then you are willfully worshiping Satan because, again, the Vatican is in the shape of a snake and you can't tell me that they didn't have an architect. Everything has an architect. So, as always, it's never goodbye, but I'll see you later.